Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces, and welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today in this podcast, we're going to discuss the current crisis in the North American public schools. Today, we'll lead off with the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And as usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in our overview. So with the crisis in our schools under the submission of the Holy Scriptures, Mm -hmm. let's dig right in. Thank you, Randy. Yes, our um, current event is looking at the crisis in education. And if we say, is there a crisis in education? We would answer yes. In fact, it's proverbial. Our hearts go out for all those who are trying to teach. And so many schools, those schools in particular, that just now have chaos. They don't have a mission uh, as we had early on in the 20th century with public schools. Well, what is the Christian expectation? It is that children be taught, as the old rhyme goes, at least the three R's, right? Reading, writing, and arithmetic and all that. But especially the scriptures, in particular, their wisdom, and primarily the wisdom of Proverbs. Modern education in schools does not supply, above all, that which is needed. A wise guide to life. In many schools, the wisdom of activism is being inculcated instead. So what is needed? Randy's going to read Proverbs chapter 1, the first four verses. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Knowledge and discretion, wisdom to the youth. These proverbs are for that purpose, and to be taught by parents to the children, especially uh, transitional years like the teenage years. Listen to this quote from Laura Hollis, a writer, uh, from uh, this month of April the 13th of this year, of course. She says, quote, It has become something of a trope, and that's a word you don't hear too often, means in her case a reoccurring strategy. It has become something of a trope for political actors and thought leaders to seek the engagement of young people and to praise it once they have it. Thus do we see it heralded when the youth are out in force clamoring for gun control, sexual libertinism, abortion rights, defunding the police, environmental restrictions in the name of climate change, free college tuition, and socialism or other types of collectivist policies. The popular narrative is that if young people are involved, the cause must be worthy. And listening to the, quote, voices of our future is inevitably a path to progress. Now, here she goes on, and we don't have time for this, but lists how youth were used in the uh, Cambodian genocide of the 1970s, in Mao's revolution in China, ISIS and the recruiting of young people. Now, let's continue where she picks up. There are plenty of reasons why young people are so often at the vanguard of brutal or revolutionary movements. In addition to their enthusiasm, energy, they are highly susceptible, highly suggestible, easily swayed by inflammatory rhetoric, susceptible to black and white thinking, and thus more easily incentivized to violence. Eager to prove themselves, much more inclined to believe in the perfectibility of people and the larger world, and are hardwired to look for a sense of belonging. Mm. 
Now, we'll stop there for just a second. If we're familiar with gangs in the city and how they developed mm -hmm. coming into the 1950s of the last century, uh, everyone understands this. She continues. What's that? It's about being a member of a tribe. A member of a tribe, yes. Yeah. She continues. They also lack experience, have little knowledge of history, or much understanding of human nature, all of which tend to provide perspective, nuance, and better judgment. Revolutionaries and ideologues want blind adherence, not hard questions. Mm. It's a good, uh, good write-up. That is a good write-up. Uh, so this is why Solomon now, we're going back to Proverbs 1, why Solomon says to his young son in Proverbs 1, 8 through 11, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Right. People who prey on young people because they know they can turn them and use them for causes which invariably lead to violence. This is where activism always leads, as we have seen in the past few years in this country. And who's involved there? People who are young. What should the goal for our youth be? Well, not this. Here's a news report from uh, February, uh, excuse me, of April 16th, in uh, terms of this broadcast just a few days ago. Uh, Michael Lee is the uh, reporter on this Fox News item. He says, quote, hundreds of teenagers stormed the streets of downtown Chicago, smashing car windows, attacking bystanders, and sending panicked tourists running from the sound of gunfire. Where are their parents at? That's my question. A woman who identified as a Chicago native told Fox 32, as the unruly scene played out in downtown Chicago on Saturday night. Well, you see, here's the problem. That's kind of the culture. Public schools are in the culture. You can't rise above the culture. Public schools are actually downstream from culture like everything else. And so if that's what's going on in downtown, you can imagine what's going on in schools at times. And the question is exactly what have the parents been doing? And I might add, as a former teacher, uh, and I have some references to my experience here in a little bit, um, it's great to have disciplined students in your classroom because otherwise you spend all your time on discipline, 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 and you get burned out real fast, as happens to uh, lots of teachers. What should our goal be? A life that passes on the faith to the next generation. 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 5. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Yes, yeah, sounds like uh, single mothers raising a child. Mm -hmm. As we know from Acts, uh, Timothy had a father, but he was Greek. He was not Jewish, not a believer, and apparently in his rearing, he's absent. Listen to this from 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Yes, uh, Grandma and Mom were good models 
from whom you've learned it. They were good models. Mm-hmm. And that's that's 90% of everything of getting scripture into children. Wise unto salvation. Yes, salvation is wisdom. It's a way of seeing the world different from the world itself. Wisdom is the goal. Obviously, public schools do not have this mission. Now, there is a need for secular education. And we see this actually from scriptures. For example, Moses, Acts 7.22. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Right, wisdom. Now that would involve writing, some history, obviously some things later on Moses wouldn't uh, believe in. But nonetheless, that's where he got his education. And of course, Luke, Colossians 4.14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. He's a physician, and we don't know of anywhere in the Bible what lays out the guidelines for helping young people become physicians. you got to go to the world, so to speak, to do that. But um, there's a history of how that's done, and um, it can be taught and passed on. And as parents, we need to be involved in our children's public education, if that's where they're at, to make sure that the basic subjects needed are being taught without political indoctrination. Currently, many public schools are having trouble just doing the basics. Here's a quote from uh, Cal Thomas. Uh, he retired from uh, writing sometime, but he still does some, some uh, essays for people now and then. And um, I like Cal Thomas because he was always someone who, from the beginning, uh, got after the left and got after the right, saying, mm-hmm. you don't wed yourself to politics. you got to stick with uh, the way it's laid out in Scripture. And this is from the uh, Daily Signal. title is The Exodus from Public Schools. And this is from last year, uh, August 9th of last year. And now, after discussing how major cities are losing students, uh, as well as teachers, he says, quote, U.S. students continue to lag behind other countries in reading, math, and science. We appear to be number one in costs, averaging 16268 per student annually, well above the global average of 10759 The public school system has long been in need of reform or burial. It seems to be hmm. added in the burial direction, like previous aging monopolies. End of quote. Yes. Uh, one of the facts of life is that all long-standing institutions invariably end because of the loss of mission. Uh, I can just think, uh, I was talking to somebody a while back, uh, when I was growing up, Sears and Roebuck was the place to go, and yeah. Dad bought all of his tools. Craftsman tools were considered the, the best of the lot and everything, and, but Sears has gone the way of the flesh. That's what happens. That's what, and of course, so with public schools, if you don't look at what you've got to transcend in the culture. Here's a uh, quote to illuminate and add to that. This is from World Net Daily of January 14th of this year, and it's about unruly students. Quote, the annual School Pulse Panel, a survey conducted by the U.S. Department of Education's Institute for Education Sciences, reveals some troubling trends. More than 80% of public schools reported stunted behavioral and socio-emotional development among students because of the pandemic. Schools also saw a 56% increase in classroom disruptions from student misconduct. End of quote. Um, we got to add that this was on the rise way before the pandemic, uh, pandemic kicked in. In fact, there's a classic black and white film called Blackboard Jungle from 1955, based on the uh, teaching experience of a person, uh, the author, who was Evan Hunter, um, about the difficulties already with juvenile delinquency and violence 
in the inner city, and this would be, of course, would have been in New York. Uh, even Hunter had been a teacher. He lasted two months in the inner city <laughs> and decided, I think I'd rather write books yeah. than do that. <laughs> but but I'm reading this because Blackboard Jungle came out in 1955, and, and it was very brutal about the kind of violence that already was in schools then. And there's always been a debate over how to discipline in the public square. Now, there is wisdom needed here, of course, shaping the child for good behavior without shattering the spirit. Let's listen to a few proverbial ways concerning discipline. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Yes. Now, the rod is uh, big in Proverbs and discipline, and we'll discuss that in just a second or two, but let's move on. Uh, Proverbs 22, 6. This is one of my favorite verses. Yeah. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Yes, it's a, it's a proverb, uh, not, not a necessarily guaranteed promise, but it's a good one, a good proverb. And there's some discussion over whether that means in the right way to go or you, you train him up according to his, his or her dis abilities and personality and things of that sort. And I lean toward that idea because mm -hmm. Proverbs, by the time you get to chapter 2, it's pretty well established you've got to rear the child with you know, a, a fear of God, as we will see it when we get to the New Testament. But every child is different. And so teaching the child, disciplining the child, what you do to one child, you might not have to do to another to get them to behave. It's, that's just the way it is. Verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Yes, and that starts at an early age. Um, folly means, you know, destructive, stupid behavior, foolish behavior. Like tearing up stuff in, the, in, in cities and in Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, the, but it's, it can be observed with, with children who are like three or four years old. And, mm -hmm. and in my, my earliest memory, and I had to be somewhere close to three or four, probably closer to four, but I remember getting into lotion in my mother's vanity and spreading it all over the mirror. And then, why did I do that? I have no idea. I, but that's what kids do. They get into stuff like yeah. that and they create a mess. Uh, but when they get older, if they're not disciplined, that kind of behavior becomes destructive. Uh, Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Exactly. And now they say, really? From, from death? Yes, students that are not disciplined and become involved in bad behavior uh, frequently end up uh, injured, and yes, they can die. Those are the kinds of things that so often happen. I can think of some of the students I grew up with, like when I was in eighth grade, who ended up getting in dangerous things and died. So, um, and of course, no one, no child wants to be disciplined. But uh, you don't listen to the child. You listen to the uh, need that is there and has to be dealt with. Uh, chapter 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Ah, shame to his mother. A child left to himself. Yes, children left to themselves. And there, there's another book here that is, really hits home with this. It's called Lord of the Flies. Mm. And I recommend it if you never read it, of how things among juveniles can descend into chaos and destruction so quickly. Uh, verse 17. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Yes, not necessarily immediately, but later on. Mm -hmm. um, 
when I got to uh, Cincinnati Public School, uh, they were already doing away with paddling and trying to look for substitutes for it. Um, but uh, there is no substitute for corporal punishment at a certainly at a younger level when you're rearing the young. And the, the purpose of that is not to obviously hurt or damage a child, but to produce a little sting, mm-hmm. a little pain. For some reason... A little motivation, a little memory maker. A little memory maker, yes. Um, and the abuse of corporal punishment is not an argument against it. If we're looking to apply that to, to our culture, none of us would be driving a car. I got swatted twice. You, is that, and that, yeah, that, that cured I, you? I, I was third grade and sixth grade, yeah. No. Mrs. Kraft and Mr. Slocum. I deserved it both times. Uh, <laughs> well, I got it in school, and I got it when I got home. Yeah, yeah a couple times. Uh, where does this come from, this need for discipline? From God to us. Listen to Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which have all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Uh, it's a great uh, quote, and it starts off, forth by referencing the book of Proverbs. And uh, God disciplines us, and sometimes when he disciplines us, it is painful. We hurt mm. inside and out. Um, wisdom is unattainable without discipline being administered. Proverbs nineteen eighteen: Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Right. Fail to discipline leads the wrong direction. Disciplined. And the parents got to seek wisdom and how to do that, but it can be done. Uh, is great for the child gaining wisdom. And the point is this, painful correction is to be administered. Again, this will vary from child to child. Now, how does all this apply to school? Well, in the beginning, like in our country, going back 150 years or better, uh, the teachers were this, loco parentis, which is a Latin phrase, which means a teacher disciplined or taught as the parents would have done it. Of course, now in some places, and increasingly, teachers replace the parents <laughs> and their values and are doing indoctrination. As Thomas Jefferson said, eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. So we got to be, if we got our children in public schools, we need to be monitoring what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the school your children attending is uh, educating without indoctrinating, great. And there are those that are still around doing that. But uh, not others. Listen to this quote from a daily war of <clears throat> January 22nd of this year. And this is referencing uh, Bill Maher, who has his own program. I believe it's on HBO. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the title is uh, Bill Maher Rips Dems. That's Democrats. And keep in mind, Bill Maher is a classic liberal. Uh, Bill Maher Rips Democrats for Leftist Indoctrination in Schools. 
He says it's, quote, outrageous and somebody needs to answer for it. Uh, on this program at this particular date, he had writer Andrew Sullivan, former editor of the left wing, The New Republic, and uh, he argued that one of the problems in schools today is that authority figures have been diminished. He says children are taught there's no such thing as authority. The most important thing is expressing yourself at all times. Sullivan, the article goes on to say, who is gay, slammed teachers for trying to indoctrinate children. So when you get truth spoken from that side of the aisle, things are bad. The authority figure in teaching is assumed throughout the Bible. The parent is the authority. And it's taught throughout the book of Proverbs and in the New Testament. Listen to Paul speak to uh, parents, particularly here it's the father, in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, meaning what? Well, these days fathers have many resources to draw on. I mean, obviously taking your child to church. There are, of course, people who are foolish who say, let your children be by themselves and let them grow up and then finally make their own decision. <laughs> that is not what the Bible teaches. You bring your, your uh, children with you. And, of course, all kinds of good things, books, videos today, so forth, so on. But the main thing is to see that it gets done. I'm going to read some verses from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, in just a moment, which I think basically outline the way, the best way to do this. Now, secular schooling is necessary, even in homeschooling. You've got to have math, science, history, all those good things. Mm -hmm. But it's not sufficient for what our children really need to learn. And, of course, the atmosphere of teaching or rearing or trying to get wisdom into one's children uh, is always meant to be encouraging, not discouraging. That's why Paul says, don't provoke your children to wrath. You know, be, uh, be encouraging. Listen to this now. We've got some great scripture here on this whole matter from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Right. And some, of course, Jews did that literally. But the, the point being made is that in the course of everyday life, it should be saturated um, now and then and here and there and everywhere else with the uh, teaching of wisdom from the Lord and from the Bible. Notice it's got to be in the parents first. You know, they've got to have this word in their heart. And then, in various ways, impart that word to their children. The picture here is not of sitting down and having formal lessons every day after school when they come home and you have supper and you have another class. It says life happens. Mm -hmm. And when life happens, there are always opportunities to teach the wisdom of the Lord, which means we ourselves as parents have, have got to be in the Scripture to do that. Notice this one from Deuteronomy 11, verse 19. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. There you go. Sometimes in the morning there's a way to teach wisdom. Something happens. And during the day throughout the day, and then at night as well. 
So it's not about setting up a classroom. It's instruction uh, in the inductive kind, we would mm. say. As it happens, you say, oh, well, you know, the Bible says something about that. Let's look at Proverbs 1.8 now. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. And again, it shows that parents have the authority. They are granted authority, and you can't teach unless you are the authority. The force of example, again, is so important here. That's 90% of teaching wisdom. Listen to what Paul says to Christians, drawing on all these truths from uh, Proverbs and 1 Corinthians 4.16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. Then in Philippians 3, 17 through 18, another example. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Being an example of wisdom walking and living is so important. It's the basis for everything, and children learn more from that maybe than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a, back in the 80s, got into the library and had a, a seminar. And the seminar was, we as teachers need to learn that the student is your client. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, not me, and I'm not going to do that. It's, I don't have clients. I have students who need to be uh, taught things in some good, authentic, and authoritative sense. And paddle a client. Yeah. <laughs> <Back then. laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but that was, I mean, that was back in the 80s. So we're talking about like 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. This is philosophy that it's no longer a student, teacher, student, uh, authoritative, teach the uh, child, and the child is going to mentor you or you're going to be the example mm-hmm. as a teacher. Um, no, uh, you're going to have a client, which means, you know, psychology and socialization <laughs> more than anything. And that undermines uh, teacher authority. Uh, here's a quote from the Epic Times of February 12th of this year. Uh, Michaelia uh, Riccafort uh, is the writer. Quote, a California Senate bill introduced last week would ban schools from suspending students who disrupt class or defy teachers known as willful defiance suspensions. Okay, it was introduced. This is aimed at keeping them in school. Okay. It's a would ban schools from suspending students who disrupt class or defy teachers, known as willful defiance suspensions. Now think about this. Okay, end of quote. This is aimed at keeping them in school. Senator Skinner, who introduced the bill, says, quote, instead of kicking them out of school, we owe it to students to figure out what's causing them to act out and help fix it. Again, the psychological approach. If we can mm-hmm. only understand the student, instead of addressing the behavior and just disciplining mm-hmm. and letting we who are made in the image of God take its course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got this. Now, interesting enough, uh, several first several years in Cincinnati public school system, I was a suspension class teacher. Three different years. That's you taught what I, me. Yeah. <laughs> you taught me so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the idea was I was a suspension class teacher. So when a student during the course of a school day acted up, instead of suspending them, they sent them down to me. Now, how did that work out? Not that well. <laughs> I'm going to give you another example here in a minute. It was not very productive. It was not. I, very... I, I spent time in uh, our particular school system. So, that yeah. Uh, first of all, you got to get lesson plans from the teachers in question, yeah. who that seldom happened. And then when you got them down there, they were all the, the kids were already upset, and you're like a parole officer. Yeah. 
and it's, there's no teaching going on, that's for sure. And maybe uh, that's not the best way to handle um, deviant behavior. If they if they have to if they're so bad they have to be expelled. I mean that's removed from the school. Keeping them in the school mm-hmm. isn't going to do the job. No. Um, and sometimes, of course, I would almost get like a whole class at once. <laughs> <laughs> and the question is, if they're bad for me, and I can't, what do I do? Yeah. There's, I'd send them to another suspension class teacher. There's no such thing. I had no authority to deal with that problem. Um, so let me give you an example of how what I call dumbing down discipline was taking place in the school system I was in some 30, 40 years ago. We're all familiar with the famous F word, which in the inner city schools is heard regularly, one way or the other. Uh, So how do you deal with that? Well, when I first started teaching, it was this. If they say the F word, you send them to the office and they'll be suspended. That's the way it's going. We, we, We can't have that. Time passes. Now we'll have, well, well, if they're, if they're just saying it because they're excited or upset, you know, okay, let that slide. Uh, okay, okay. Then it came to, oh, what if they say it to another student? Well, if they, they say it to another student, yeah, they, that's going to be dealt with. But then they dumb that down. I said, no, 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 what, let's, just, uh, let's just center on the teacher. If, if he says F you to the teacher, then he's going to be suspended. And then that got dumbed down to, the teacher must discern why he said it before you write out a certificate of suspension or to send the student to the office. Mm. Dumbing down discipline. So um, what happens there? It's the retreat into the subjective. The subjective wins. We, we don't know. He might have had a bad night. You know, that's what you're told. And I have no doubt that some of these students had bad nights. Yeah. In fact, I know on many cases they had bad nights. But you still have to deal with discipline and deal with it in a way in which they learn a lesson not to act that way. Sometimes, unfortunately, expulsion, suspension outside the public school, is the only way, because we find that even in the Bible with uh, Christians. Listen to this from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Right. They are to be excluded from uh, being integrated into the ecclesia, the church assembly. Uh, That's Jesus' teaching. Here's Paul in Titus chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Yes, when you have to spend all your time dealing with students in a class or in a public school, uh, even in a suspension class, that is time that is not spent teaching. It is time lost. This is also true in in churches as well. Um, We've come across people like this, you know, even within our own congregation, where it's like, okay, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so, to follow up on that, here's a quote from the Daily Wire of January 25th of this year. Administrators at a Virginia elementary school were warned on three separate occasions about a first grade student carrying a gun, but did not act before he shot his teacher. Hmm. The teacher's lawyer said Wednesday, in the quote, and I think I read it a quote here a couple of days ago that she's uh, suing everybody, of course, obviously. 
Uh, well, yes, guns were being brought to school even back when I was teaching in the 70s. When I was teaching at a place called Porter Junior High, I was at the front of the class teaching, and all of a sudden I heard something hit the floor. There's three, four. And of course, I grew up hunting with a rifle, 22 longs and 22 shorts. And I said to myself, that sounds like 22s to me. Whatever that, there was 22 bullets, shorts, laying all over the floor. And so I said, I said, uh, Ebert, is this, is this yours? And he said, yeah, yeah, they go with my gun. You got a gun? Yes, yeah, my backpack. I said, okay. So we got up, got on the speaker, and somebody came, assistant principal, whoever, and, and took him away. And he did get suspended. I hope he learned a lesson. Um, why, why do these things happen? Uh, it's because there's no parental discipline at home, which makes teaching increasingly difficult mm. because of that. It all starts at the home. If you don't have it there in the culture of the home, you're not going to have it in the culture of the school. Mm. Another time when I was um, teaching, it was my last year for teaching a, a suspension class. Third year I'd, I'd done it. You graduated. Uh, yeah, <laughs> finally got out of it. But there was a student, uh, he was a known uh, problem, roaming the hallway, and he came up, to, and I didn't have anybody in the suspension class at this time. And he came up to the door on this door that I had and because they put me in the band room. So you got plenty of room to put <laughs> suspended students. And he, he, I came, I saw him. And so I, you know, I wanted to see, do you have a paper that says you're supposed to be? No, he didn't have one, but he wanted in. He kept, you know, so I grabbed the door from my side. So he's pulling from his side. I'm pulling from my side. I don't want him in there. I just, I, I don't, he's going to be a problem. And so I said, how can I? Then, I, then I got a brainstorm. I said, well, he's pulling, he's pushing, I'm pushing, I'm holding the door, excuse me, I'm, I'm holding the door this way, trying to pull, you know, so you know, to hold it open. He's trying to pull it toward him. So I said, I'll just push it toward him real fast. And boom, you know, he fell down. I got the door closed and I locked it, all right? About an hour later, the administrator comes by and says, did you see so-and-so? I said, yeah, he tried to get in there and I managed to exclude him from doing that. He says, you know what he had? I said, no, what he had? <laughs> Pulls out from what he was carrying, a hatchet. He said he had it stuck on his back, you know, in his mm -hmm. belt, in his, you know, mm -hmm. back between his belt and his uh, waist. Um, so, again, this was things that are happening 40 years ago. So, problem of fear when the mission has failed. When the mission fails, uh, you have fear. The, the, the student who had the gun they didn't know what to do with, why didn't they? Because they lost the sense of authority over this. Over, mm. well, that's, that's the explanation. Listen to this from Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Yes, you got to deal with it in the real time that it happens. Uh, what to do with problems like this when you no longer believe in authority to be exercised over students, when there is no authority, no mission, Potential disaster problem can become deadly. Uh, authority is necessary to hold students accountable beginning early and at the basic levels. For example, if there's no authority, they're not going to learn the basic math, reading, other things. Here's a headline from Hot Air of February this year, February 10th. The headline is Baltimore. Not one student at these 23 schools can do math at grade level. I ran into that when I was teaching. I had a student who was really exceptionally smart. Uh, he was up front uh, in the front row, and he was there um, every time I taught, had the notes on the board, and I would every day I would review the previous day's lesson, and 
he always knew the answers. Boom, 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 boom. So we have a test then over everything I've been teaching. He flunked it with an F because what he learned, he learned by listening to me. He mm. couldn't read. And yet here he was, junior high. Oh, wow. And had gotten through it. So these are the kinds of things that have been going on for a long time. So how to answer all this? Some say you got to get back to the way it was. Here's an article from Scott Hogginson. Uh, it's entitled, Putting God's Wisdom Back in the Classroom. And let me quote what he's saying. Quote, perhaps the single biggest factor contributing to America's rising crime rate can be traced back to 1962. Uh, and uh, that's when the Supreme Court ruled prayer out of school, Engel versus Vital. Uh, he goes on to quote the Democratic mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, who said at a recent prayer breakfast, quote, when we took prayers out of schools, guns came into schools, end of quote. Of course, my question is, was the good mayor advocating prayer in schools? I really don't think he was doing that. No. Um, the writer of this article goes on to suggest putting some form of the Ten Commandments back in schools. Is that a problem? Well, a lot of well-meaning Christians want to put that back into school or put prayer back into school, apparently not understanding that biblical truth cannot be forced on people. Mm. Placed together freely is uh, in the church, uh, especially when the sentiment to do this is not there as it was back at the beginning of the 20th century. The beginning of the 20th century and through most of the 20th century until you hit the 60s, yes, you had a prayer, uh, you had Bible reading, but that's because the culture was still saturated with the Judaic Christian tradition that day is gone. Now listen, a hundred years ago, there are those people who saw this coming. A hundred years ago. I'm going to give you a quote from um, PJ Media. The uh, writer is Chris Queen, and he wrote this on uh, March 19th of this year. And the article is about celebrating, and I'm probably all you people out there in podcast land don't know this guy, but I'm familiar with him. It's the 100th anniversary of J. Gresham Masham's Christianity and Liberalism. It was a book called Christianity and Liberalism. It was published a hundred years ago this year. And of course, he takes a position that liberalism or liberal Christianity is not Christianity at all. It's a fake. So Queen says, quote, what's particularly astounding is that Macon tackles a few cultural and political issues as well in his book called Christianity and Liberalism. His views on education might lead you to believe that he had a time machine and transported himself to the present day. And here's what uh, Macon said a hundred years ago. Quote, a public school system, if it means the providing of free education for those who desired, is a noteworthy and beneficent achievement of modern times. But once it becomes monopolistic, it is the most perfect instrument for tyranny which has yet been devised. Oh Freedom of thought in the Middle Ages was combated by the Inquisition, but the modern method is far more effective. And he said that a hundred years ago, knowing that eventually, since the public school system, you see, was supported by the Christian Judaic Foundation, if that erodes, the Christianity Foundation that's left is going to be not worthy. It's going to be a form of liberalism and it'll degenerate into even worse. So, why is this? Well, listen to Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Right. And here again, listen to it from Luke 14, 34 through 35. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to salt the culture, and the culture is not as salty as it was. Mm. And that's our fault. We people who are Christians have, have traded our loyalties too often to politics. That's the problem. Instead of concentrating on being salt, mm. we wanted to be politicians of some kind. Yeah. How can it be restored? Well, it cannot. That day has passed. And plus, we must never expect the public school system to do what we are called to do. So what are we to do? Listen to uh, David in this Psalm uh, 11, the first four verses. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. If the foundations are destroyed, and they are being destroyed across the country in this matter of the public school system, what can the righteous do? In other words, whoa, uh, is there an answer to this? And the very next thing he says is the Lord is on his throne and he's testing. Mm -hmm. So we need to recognize God is still on the throne regardless of what's going on with the public schools. We still need to teach our children wisdom and that he is active in bringing about judgment as it needs to be done. And we serve him. He examines us. He's a teacher. <laughs> he gives exams. And we want to pass the test. So when the foundations are destroyed, we look to the Lord and his word, who is the teacher who disciplines us all for the gaining of wisdom. Uh, for wisdom is everything. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So remember Isaiah 40, 6 through 8. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. Right. The, the flesh and the grass of this culture is fading and dying. But the word of the Lord, and that's our goal, to always look to the Lord and his word. That goes on forever, and that's the Christian expectation. Well, thanks, Jim. You've given us a lot to think about, and I'm sure you probably have questions or comments about it. We'd love to hear those questions or comments, so please comment on this podcast link or send your questions via email and comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. We'll use your question or comment on the podcast where possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations. Until next time, keep looking up.